so yeah. confusing that mother never has any time and um and and i can never do anything right that's a very very painful one very difficult no space confusion mm. grasping really desperate how can i get her how can i get her to love me or even like me and in that situation you know it's similar with narcissistic partners we really have to accept actually that they're not ever going to change so the change has to be in me i have oh. to find a way to accept that Welcome back to the North Star podcast. Today, I have Paula Charnley on the show, and I am extremely honored and excited because Paula is my very own therapist. She's a person-centered psychotherapist and focusing teacher. And in this episode, we talk a little bit about her own story, how she's come from the world of bodywork. She's a, she's been a shiatsu therapist, a yogi a reiki practitioner and how she's coming to the work that she's doing now and the value of focusing work and you know what that really is and I can say I'm not going to give it away in, in this intro but it is very very helpful when it comes to connecting to really I would say your soul but via the body listening to or learning to listen to its cues, its wisdom in order to lead, you know, a better, more healed, more centered, more grounded, just more beautiful life. And we talk in this episode specifically about the mother wound, which is something I've been excited to get into. And there will be a few episodes coming up on this topic. So I hope you enjoy and extract a lot of value from this and Paula is really such a wealth of knowledge especially again given the work that she does and so yeah we talk about how to navigate that we talk about what is you know norm in terms of this and I hope that this episode really gives you tools I hope it makes you feel comforted comforted in knowing that you're not alone in difficult relationships that you might have with your primary caregiver, right? Because as Paula mentions, it doesn't need to be just your mother. It can be your father. It can be someone else. And yeah, I really hope that you're able to walk away with some new ideas of things that you can use to support you in your own journey in life, whether that is, again, you know, navigating this mother wound or whether it is you know, just coming into a deeper relationship with yourself and others. All right, my loves, I will talk to you next time. Enjoy the episode. My name is Paula Charnley. I'm here in the middle of the UK, um, in near the Peak District, um, which is very close to where I grew up. Um, I'm a person-centered psychotherapist, counsellor, and a teacher of focusing um, I've had quite a few careers, so this has brought me back to where I am now. Um, I lived in the Netherlands for 30 years, so it was a big part of my life, a very formative part of my life. Um, in the Netherlands for the last 15 years that I was there, I was a holistic therapist. So I was a shiatsu therapist, practiced Reiki, reflexology, different things. And I was always very interested in the psychological, the emotional side of what was going on for somebody, maybe when they came with physical pain or symptoms of chronic illness. Um, so 
I always kind of tottered around the idea of I kind of knew that I would be a good psychotherapist and knew that I would be it would really fit with me because I love working with people and, and being inquisitive and going deeper and getting to know what's going on behind the scenes. And um, so I kind of toyed with it. And it wasn't until I came back to the UK uh, in 2015 that I got the chance to go to university and, and do a master's in uh, counselling and psychotherapy. And it was like, wow, I love this. <laughs> it was, you know, I loved it. I didn't like the academic work so much, but I loved the counselling straight away. You know, I'd been doing it as a therapist for quite a long time. So I, you know, I'm somebody who kind of doesn't often feel fear and takes risks. So I immediately stepped into counselling. I did my placement hours and started seeing clients. And just as with shiatsu therapy, as soon as I start um, seeing clients, um, I'm learning. I'm really learning about how to do this. Um, so I would say, yeah, five years down the line, I, I feel like a much more experienced a therapist uh, and I have some specialities. I, I work very much with relationships, couples and people who are in relationships, dealing with relationship issues uh, um, is something that, I, I, you know, I, I project those people coming to me, if you like. Um, but I also work with uh, all kinds of issues, anxiety, depression, stress, just maybe dealing with the spirituality. Where am I in life? What's my my life path? So Yeah, that makes so much sense that you have the background in sort of body work and how you've ended up because with me, you were so helpful in like tuning into the, like I always think of you when my shoulder goes up because <laughs> my shoulder still goes <laughs> up and I'm still kind of managing it. And And for anyone listening, yeah. like my left shoulder kind of going up when I'm more stressed and that whole muscle area sort of cinching and my massage therapist here mm. was talking to me about it and I mentioned you and how you were helpful mm. in sort of making me aware of that mm. and so now it makes sense that you have this background that's sort of now fused with what you're doing with with the therapy that's so mm. that's really yeah. beautiful it, it's also a little bit how I got into therapy in the first place um so I, my first session was let's say craniosacral therapy and I was actually in uh, my yoga school in Kripalu in the USA wow. when I had a brilliant therapist and and that was a turning point for me uh, 20 years ago um and so she worked in an embodied way mm. and I was like ah oh, this feels really good even though I didn't have much experience of personal therapy so after that I looked for people who worked like that and then I worked like that when I worked with clients uh, and then later I realized that this technique if you like of being embodied with um, physical issues or with something that's going on in your life is called focusing so I was using focusing and then 13 years ago I started to study it and I'm now a teacher of focusing so that's when we drop in when we're in a talking session we drop into the embodied feeling of the situation and that that's what I know is focusing and, and and what I use a lot in my work with clients at the moment uh interesting I didn't actually I didn't know the word for it but yeah it mm. it is really mm. it's really interesting because I, I I've reflected so much 
on like certain times that we we did that work and it's it's so interesting how your body how you can give voice let's say to parts of your mm. of your body mm-hmm. and how you can what you mm. learn through that process it's so so insightful yeah. yeah I like that way of saying it give voice to what's there yeah mm-hmm. the, the the body expresses um what's there sometimes we just tune in well what does that part want to say it wants to say, ah, I need some rest. <laughs> and then can we hear that? And, uh, you know, sometimes we might also check in, what what is it that you need right now? And it might go, and actually I need a little bit of distance. Um, so tuning into the body, just being with that, keeping it company can, can really help us to process a lot of um, emotional um, challenges, but also physical, physical issues. Mm-hmm. Do you notice, because I remember, I just think on that point, like, um, and still now it's still such a process, but being like, oh, like, I don't know what this, this, this part, like, there's such a disconnect that it's, and also, at least in my experience, like a lack of trust as well in what would come up, like being like, oh, I don't know, this comes up, but I don't know if that's like, re- like, you know, just like all these questions, yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's what you learn. And when you study focusing, so as a focusing teacher, I can kind of help you with that. And so basically what we do, we listen to all those parts. Mm-hmm. We listen to the part that's saying, oh, I want to know more about this or I don't like this. Mm-hmm. But we give that just as much space as the part that maybe wants to speak and has something more clear to say. We listen yeah. to And there can be all those parts coexisting together. Yeah. Were you always, did you have to, as you were sort of speaking to, did you have to come into this work because you needed that yourself or were you always quite connected into, you know, how your body was speaking to you? It's a great question. As I look back, um, um, I was always very sporty. So I was in my body. Mm -hmm. And then I spent many, you know, late teenage, early 20s years partying. I lived in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. <laughs> lost connection somehow with, with body spirit um, and then came to it because my body started to protest and say, no, Paula, this is not your life anymore. And I guess I was always kind of a quite a um, questioner, quite a deep thinker, but I hadn't really had space for that in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when you think of the you that existed as a kid like what parts of of you you know do you see present today like how does that younger you inform all of today yeah so it's it's um it's interesting because um uh I do and I don't um so you know I I think when I grew up in the 1960s there wasn't a lot of space for questioning or there weren't any answers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um I, I do think that I found my own way very much and I feel fortunate that I was quite um adventurous um and uh, and I'm still adventurous I'm more adventurous again now after having that gap in the middle so I you know being out in nature as a kid where you always used to be out in the fields lighting fires climbing trees and um, that's kind of come back to me now because that's where I am sitting around campfires and being mm-hmm. out in nature, reconnecting with nature. So I see that side very much. Um, 
And I think there was probably a gap then between teenage years and leaving home where a lot of my material for later personal development um, came from. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose what I'm saying is I think my childhood up until about secondary school was fairly happy. Yeah, And then after that, teenage years was a little bit more problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of inspiration into getting into all of this, all of this healing work that you oh, do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I got into it very late, to be honest. I'd, I'd already struggled with the challenges for oh. many years. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got into it, there was no stopping me then. It's like, you know, and still learning, learning uncovering stones and finding out you know what's underneath and why human beings and myself behave as we do in certain situations why do you think it takes us so long like is it fear you know because I think I relate with that I'm sure other people can relate to that where it's it takes you're kind of in years in some sort of mud and then you um, then finally you as you said you get into it and you're like oh wow this is so helpful yeah yeah it could be uh like cycles of life that that in our 20s 30s we might be busy with something else uh, and then suddenly we realize oh all of that and I'm still feeling a little bit empty maybe there's more Mm. um in my situation I wasn't really aware of counseling you know when I say counseling so at the same time or slightly earlier I got into yoga and meditation and those things tweaked my awareness tweaked my intrigue uh, started me to be able to accept me as I was um and and from there my um consciousness was 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 elevated so it was like ah okay um when I do this this happens oh so what if I do this then life may be a little bit easier so if I go speak to somebody and really talk about this stuff that's happening like let's say uh my relationship with my father then perhaps you know there might be a, a movement in that there might be some um easier way to live ease of life in that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's I think that's really relatable especially because when you're younger you I think probably for you, you you can tell me but probably for safety reasons you don't question so much you know uh the dynamic that you would have with your father or with your mother just because it does sort of keep you in this like seemingly safe headspace to be like oh no all is well yeah, yeah so so you're talking a little bit about our um our need for safety yeah. as a as an infant and, and as a young child and uh, we talked about the mother wound so yeah. um those messages that we internalize so if we uh, you know we're, we're non-verbal and we're we're an infant and we're trying to get the attention of our mother so perhaps we smile and our mother is uh, she's busy with older children or something uh, and she turns away from us we internalize that message oh that didn't work um and from there what we can do is we can just learn to cope with it ourselves and internalize it and perhaps the next time we need help we just actually turn over and you know mm-hmm. so it, it it leads to us carrying these things through our life and i say in my own situation perhaps when i was um when i was a baby 
children were left to cry mm. you know they weren't attended to so I would have cried to get attention and been ignored um and so I grew up um first of all the one who was playing uh, in the fields as a tomboy you know really climbing trees and 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 with gangs of small people you know <laughs> having adventures every day um and then um later um as as a very independent person you know who can wield a, a drill and a saw and and sort things out so mm. in some ways it served me as well yeah 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 and I I relate to that so much as well uh, I think I've probably said to you before but I had like I wish my family would still talk about like an almost catchphrase as a three four-year-old if I can do it myself and um I don't know as you know I never thought anything of it until maybe the past few years where I was like hmm that's interesting you know this mm. this like adamant especially as like a kinder you have kindergarten in the in the UK yeah nursery yeah yeah and at that age like constantly saying that like mm. and also wanting to walk to school by myself even though it was like three four years old and I'm mm. um, just like very strongly in that role almost like almost like wearing that hat of being hyper independent mm. which makes sense given yeah and any understanding where that might have come from I believe now like to speak to and I actually would love to actually after this for you to actually explain mm. in your words the mm. definition if there is a definition of the mother wound but I believe that being one of four kids was as you kind of spoke to was probably um it's not necessarily the environment where everyone's going to get like a ton of attention and I was always uh probably I don't want to it's not necessarily about comparison but probably I'm a little bit more sensitive than than all of my siblings and so mm. I don't think that I necessarily even though I was you know cared for I don't think mm. to the perhaps degree that my little infant self you know needed mm. I think it was probably a lot of that and feeling as you spoke to like mm. that sort of rejection even though you know as an adult you would look back and be like oh it's not you know, it's not real rejection, but it feels like it. And so mm -hmm. growing up where maybe the EQ is also a little bit lower <laughs> in like mm. the environment and, you know, therefore thinking, okay, like, I guess I got this on, on you know, mm. on my own yeah. If, yeah. if I need to. Yeah. yeah. And that message that's internalized, it's not conscious. You're not doing it because you know you're doing it because there's some drive inside of you that says, yeah, we need to do this. This is how we're going to get through life. Yeah. Although you did mention that you specialize in relationships and I'm sure you see this a mm. lot then, but I know like mm. post my first, you know, everyone has that first breakup and it's so mm. hard. And I was probably 18, mm. 19. And after that, it was almost a conscious thing of me being like, mm -mm, I'm done with that. All of that, that, that is all I, I've got life on my own. I don't need anyone in my life. So probably you see that like quite a bit with people who are just so heartbroken that they just put up this wall and it could be yeah. very conscious. Yeah. And what's happening there is that those wounds that we carry through life reflect in our adult relationships. Mm. So, you know, we can be very independent, even avoidant, mm -hmm. um, in a relationship where it looks like we can just cope on our own mm -hmm. and, and it might look like we're pushing the other away. 
because maybe that's a pattern that we've taken through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how would you, I don't know if it's a hard one to define, but how do you define like the mother wound or even the father? I mean, you mentioned your father and your kids, yeah. so maybe it's different. Yeah. But... Well, um, we've got work to do with our relationships with both of our parents. Oh. Um, I think the mother wound um, is something to, to focus on. Um you know, if we, we look at the work that we do with both of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, I could say that it's an emotional, it's a psychological wound. Um, so when um, when we're born and, and we take our mother takes that first look at us, mm-hmm. um, you know, now I hear of babies who are born into full support, full smiling families with people around them and support. And, you know, I wonder how that must feel. Wow. To be loved when you come into this world that you know that that first glance is pure love mm-hmm. and how that feels to 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 go through life with that but imagine if for example uh, we've got um, a teenage mother who's who's giving birth who's very mm. uncertain scared maybe and so a baby born into that circumstance would have a very different beginning um so so that can continue um let, let's say as we continue as an infant no matter who our mother is mm-hmm. it's very nuanced it's very subtle and when the jigsaw fits into place when all the pieces fit um then we look at mother and she knows that we need feeding or she knows we need changing and there's a ah from both sides we're, we're feeling secure we're feeling comfortable mm-hmm. the, there was um, a psychologist called Derek Winnick who who came up with the phrase a good enough mother so mm-hmm. no parents are perfect mm-hmm. but when we get just the right amount of attention just enough attention mm-hmm. so it leaves the wounds let's say not quite so prominent as they may be mm-hmm. if our mother is otherwise engaged uh, you know perhaps we have a mother who's depressed who's an addict who's being harassed by her or your father or or, or somebody else or um so all of those things are going to affect the bond between the mother and the infant mm-hmm. um and as we we just talked about the the infant will internalize those messages perhaps I'm a nuisance or she doesn't have time for me mm-hmm. and maybe when the infant's feeling scared, it may just be a noise. I'm scared. And mum's not there to, to comfort me. Then I have to deal with that. And perhaps I internalise that fear. So which, you know, later may lead to anxiety or, or different things. Um, and of course, there's different levels of wounding. So, you know, when we're talking about serious abuse, then, you know, th- th- there's a lot more baggage to carry through life yeah yeah I can't even that that Mm. idea you know the the person that's supposed to be your security also being the person you're scared of is so Mm. um it's such a heavy thing to even you know fully think about and then to actually have experienced that sort of environment Mm. is 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 pretty heartbreaking really Mm. when you when you think about yeah 
Yeah. And we're quite specific as human beings, because if you look at a, a foal being born or a calf, you know, they're very soon on the feet and very soon slightly more independent. They could be bottle fed uh, and survive. But we're not like that, are we? You know, it's two years almost or, or you know, a year okay. before we can walk and mm-hmm. and we, we can't c- communicate verbally mm-hmm. so we're very very dependent on our caregivers and we're talking about mother but we should also say primary caregiver sure. um, because it could be you know that we're brought up by uh, somebody else or mm-hmm. we're adopted in early years um so primary caregiver is is probably um yeah a phrase that is what it is, isn't it? Because if you were a single father, mm. it would be the same, right? It would be a, mm. the same dynamic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's those the meeting of those uh, needs uh, yeah. and, and how those needs are met. Very subtle. Um, yeah. 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 I like that you sort of talked about the good enough because I, right before that, I just written down, like, you know, how many of us even, how like, is it a very small percentage that even have no you know wounding whatsoever you know like how common is it for someone to just be like you know the mother is perfectly attuned to it like that seems I don't know unrealistic almost yeah and it is it's impossible um there are no perfect parents um I, I would say that that most of us carry some material that we want to work with yeah. <laughs> um, in that relationship mother to daughter uh, or mother to, to son. Um, so, you know, most of us have something. And, and I often say uh, we have trauma at different levels, but we've all gone through birth, had parents, gone to school, had relationships, had employers. So we all carry some scars from all of those relationships in our life. Mm-hmm. almost like uh, with employee yeah because I guess employers would also mirror that in a way because it's sort of an authority figure in yeah. a, in its own way mm-hmm. what are some of I don't know if this is too broad of a question but I'm just curious off the top of my head like what are some of the most common uh, struggles or um, that you would see between a mother and a daughter do you see them together ever it's usually independent no Oh, I don't really do family therapy. Okay. Um, yeah, so no, I work with individual. I do do uh, intimate relationships, so couples relationship counselling as well. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. not uh, family therapy. Yeah. What are the most common? I have had um, uh, daughters whose mother was, we could say narcissistic traits or we could say narcissistic personality disorder. So as a child, impossible to understand all right i'm just jumping in here for a quick moment you are looking to do some deep work with yourself and you're not ready to work one-on-one with a counselor then i would highly recommend you check out superhuman app superhuman is founded by mimi bouchard and it is incredibly powerful whether you're looking to work on things like creating your best career for yourself, one that really aligns with your soul, whether you are looking to heal your relationship with yourself on many levels, whether that is your body image, your relationship with food, with your loved, you know, your how you move in relationship with loved ones. It really covers a lot of different topics. And so there are 
our meditations geared towards all these different things and you can do them in various different forms whether that is a walking meditation a writing meditation and or a seated meditation there's just so much they also have sounds which just pure sounds so you can use them while you're working if you're looking to get yourself into a elevated state a calm state and now they have playlists available so you can create your own playlist save your favorites and just have great access to the state that you are looking to be in or the healing that you are looking to cultivate so i would definitely definitely recommend checking out superhuman it's been so transparent formative for me and you can go to superhuman.app slash register or just click the link in the show notes type in the code mckenzie m-a-c-k-e-n-z-i-e and that will give you six weeks entirely free which is the best deal that they have otherwise you can get two weeks free but again i would highly recommend taking the six weeks you know money back guaranteed if you for whatever reason want to cancel out you will 100 get your money back but they have a really low unsubscribe rate so i don't think you will but again it's nice to know that you have that flexibility so enjoy superhuman and let's get back to the show we could say narcissistic traits or we could say narcissistic personality disorder so as a child impossible to understand that mother always has more needs than i do so confusing so yeah. confusing that mother never has any time and um and and I can never do anything right. That's a very, very painful one, very difficult. Is that how it feels um, then? That's how it sort of presents, is that feeling of, you know, there's no space for me. Yeah, no space, confusion, oh. um, grasping, really desperate. How can I get her? How can I get her to love me or even like me? Mm-hmm. And in that situation, you know, it's similar with narcissistic partners. We really have to accept actually that they're not ever going to change. So the change has to be in me. I have to find a way to accept that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as a therapist, you're not telling, you're not necessarily telling anyone to do anything. You're not saying in the partner dynamic, you know, this might be unhealthy. You're actually just helping them manage and kind of move through it. Yeah. Helping that. Uh, to become conscious in somebody mm-hmm. know why they've got that empty feeling inside mm-hmm. uh, but when we look at the relationship well it, it was your mother and and you were supposed to feel safe you were supposed to feel loved and comfortable and cared for mm-hmm. so that you could go out and explore the world but that wasn't the case you might have been looking after your mother mm-hmm. um that that is also a very common wound when a child um, has like parental responsibilities to look after other children or to look after the mother if if she's got mental health issues maybe. Um, so it, it's the wrong order. So we miss out on childhood. So then you know we've we've we're suffering from loss really of childhood. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, because it's. I guess you would also be able to delineate like the difference in his, or maybe it's all not right, but I'm thinking of a lot of first children um, in in that order tend to be very, uh, I'm thinking even guys I dated who were firstborns, like other women I know who are firstborns, they all kind of have this uh, way of sort of being where they're almost like are very like parental almost in the way that Mm. they show up and seem to look after people. And I always thought, that's just how that birth order kind of works but maybe there is a line between that and 
sort of the parentified child yeah could be could be I I think it's probably quite difficult as well as a firstborn because Mm -hmm. parents are often um, more cautious more nervous more learning Um, so quite a lot of responsibility as a firstborn definitely a difference between first and second Mm -hmm. oh yeah in my family like a thousand percent my older sister's like uh, Mm. uh, definitely like a motherly (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. person Mm. and I think you know for people of of that or any because I think that again just in my experience it tends to also lend to more of like a type a um, sort of personality and I see those ones often they want to like take care of other people in a way and they don't Mm. they have like a harder time almost like being taken care of I don't know if that's something that's common or Mm. that's just my experience Mm. maybe maybe it's not something that I see as a pattern okay to be honest that it comes from that being a firstborn okay um not necessarily no I mean maybe looking after other people mm-hmm. if they're in that position if they've got younger siblings mm-hmm. uh, but looking after other people can also come from um perhaps um feeling that you need to please mm-hmm. you know as a as a non-verbal baby I need to please mummy I need to have that smile on my face so that she'll love me and feed me and care for me and I'll be safe Wow, that's so, interesting. Mm, so that can be a, a wound as well, a people pleaser to to yeah keep yourself safe and secure in that environment. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And for people who are navigating the like narcissistic mother or father or those waters, um, what do you like what are I know everyone's different, every case is different. It's hard to kind of mm. just say blanket statements, mm. but are there certain things that you do advise them in terms of like boundaries or um, those sorts of things to help? Yeah, I guess it's, if I understand it right, um, you know, how would I work with that? And and it's, you know, person specific, uh-huh. um, but it's, uh, it's about how we can work on ourselves so that we feel um, that we're, that we're standing in our own power, that we're we're less vulnerable in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it is a process, really. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, when somebody first comes in for a counselling session, maybe they're not ready to go to depth. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we need to explore who they are and 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 the the behaviors sometimes need to become conscious before the um there's a realization that ah yeah you know those aha moments oh okay now I I see that pattern Mm -hmm. and now now I get it Mm -hmm. um maybe I should um give an example from my own um situation so um um, I just wanted to say that actually I was third born into a Catholic family so my the middle sister she's she's six years older than I am Mm-hmm. so as I was being born um there's a very high percentage I don't think I've ever asked my mother uh, um that I should have been a boy in fact they had really? a name ready Paul and that ah. kind of gives me a clue <laughs> so my father you know would have been pushing for a boy and of course you know we can't choose that specifically oh. so you know mother holds up another girl 
oh my goodness, I've let the side down here. And I internalize that message. And hence I become a tomboy, I become a, you know, a, a tough independent yeah. person. Thank you. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, then as I started to um, explore therapy for myself, um, to be perfectly honest, I was doing my yoga teacher's training at Kripalu in, in New York. And um, I wondered why I was not able to speak in a group, why I was not able to have an opinion or really speak out or ask questions. And so I visited the therapist who was on site, excellent therapist there. And she took me to a, a place in my body where um, she allowed me to feel what was that like? What was it like not to be able to speak out? And I was almost like strangled. You know, this voice had never been nurtured. So as she practiced craniosacral with me and also what I now know is focusing, there was something in me that expressed, but I expressed in kind of a teenage voice. Oh, yeah. She did coach me a little bit because I didn't have a clue about um you know, where I was going with this. It was my first therapy session, but life-changing. And and she allowed me to see, oh my goodness, I had as much right as my father did to have a voice, to have an opinion, to have a say in, you know, even when I was 12, when I was 16, when I was 18, to say, oh, I feel that I'd like to do this and I don't want to do this, or I'd like to move away from home because I need to find my independence. Mm. So she allowed me to see that pattern. Ah, oh, for many years, my mouth had been zipped. So I was stifled. Wow. Oh, that's so, you know, it's so relatable because I, I find myself now needing to remind myself of my age being like, Mackenzie, you're in your thirties. Like you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're not 14 you know you you don't it's not because for sure when you grow up and if you have a certain a strong personality traits in your family like for sure mm. I do it's like you I at least grew up with that uh, almost a similar dynamic especially with the father mm. and like kind of um thinking well that sort of it's almost like law you know within within the home of like this is mm. this is the way in my perception to to be and mm -hmm. and that thought that you just shared of oh no 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 like it's actually okay for and it's actually probably a good thing for you to have your voice and to share your voice is mm. is is such a learning and I don't think I mean this isn't taught in school I'm thinking like when else when would you ever learn this you know unless mm. you were in some form of therapeutic setting mm. Because like if you'd not had that experience with her or you'd not been in that setting to even notice that you weren't speaking up within the group, mm. you could have gone through mm. your whole adulthood, you know. It's a, yeah, it's a good question. I probably wouldn't have because at that time I was really starting to question. Okay. So I think at some stage or others, uh, because I was doing so much yoga and workshops mm. and uh, working in groups and body work somewhere along the line you know I was also mixing with many therapists at that time it would have come along my path right okay that's 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 thank god that's <laughs> that's so that's so good and how did you notice actually speaking I'm just curious like to 
um, also your body because it is also integrated. Like, did you notice any shifts within your uh, physical body as you kind of moved through, you know, the mental emotional work? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good that you asked that question because because not many people do. Um, so let's say I've been practicing yoga for twenty five years. Prior to that, so in my thirties, I was really prone to putting on weight, oh. really prone, and it was a bit of a condition of worth in our family. You know, we'd go home and my grandmother would go, "Oh, you've lost weight," i.e. I love you more because you've lost weight. Oh. Um, so as I started to find my own personal power and accept, um, and, you know, my yoga practice is is strong and still very strong. This is it. This is the container that I'm working with, however that is on any given day. And as soon as I began to accept um that, that this body was amazing and what a machine and, you know, how grateful I was and never really put on weight after that. Wow. So my metabolism, partly from yoga and partly from mental um, equilibrium, let's say, and of course, I'm always working with that and I don't think I'll ever stop, but something um, balanced in my body so that I never really had to worry about putting weight on again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that that's um, maybe, um, I don't want to say, a, a bonus, a part of the process uh-huh. that yeah. everything started to function um, absolutely, you know, wow. absolutely fine. That's amazing because, you know, I know it is kind of hard to sort of speak about these things sometimes because the world is very um, uh, touchy about certain subjects, but mm. um you know, given given the world, I think sometimes people might come in, I can imagine in certain settings and wanting to figure out what's wrong with me. Like, why can't I, why why am I constantly, let's say in this case, I'm gaining weight or losing, or like mm. going through these cycles. Mm. And I've been there and mm. tons of people who have been on the show have, mm. have talked about this all. Mm. And, um, and it, it is nice that you can genuinely like help people, you know, in a healthy mm. way kind of make mm. this peace with their body and not go through all the drama uh, you know almost like biological drama because I think it's probably quite a lot for the body to be mm. um, sort of swaying left to right in terms of in terms of its weight so I think that's so that's so healing because people talk about it all that um, people seem to talk about it and I think a lot of people question or don't necessarily believe like oh yeah I'm in a you know, I just see the comments online where people will say, yeah, like I got my mind right. And then my body followed. And then naysayers kind of go, blah, Mm. blah, blah. If you're not telling us the full Mm. story, you know? Um, Mm. So I think it's powerful that you've experienced that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very much about standing in your own power because I don't have to please anybody with what I choose to eat. I only have to please me and my body and my needs Mm. which helps me to to eat fairly healthily Mm -hmm. but I don't have any guilt about you know perhaps when I don't eat healthily or when I'm you know eating some chocolate or something because perhaps there's an imbalance in my body and I need that so I allow myself to enjoy Mm -hmm. what I need Um, and my body seems to respond to that yeah, because certainly, I mean, I don't know the the science, but certainly there there must be behind 
the stress of that whole um what can exist as sort of a, a, a drama with with food and body and all of yeah. this yeah. and as you mentioned metabolism like there there must be a, a correlation with all the stress that you know we hold on to especially as women mm. uh moving through all of that yeah. and then when you kind of release that cortisol I assume there must mm. be a physiological effect with the metabolism mm. and all of true and you know eating disorder is one of the most difficult things as a counselor to work with mm. to be honest and we know that it's not really about the food Right. Um, if somebody's, you know, struggling with weight or, or gaining or losing weight, it's never really about the food. It's usually um, a psycho, um, psychological mm-hmm. something that's happening. Right. And I suppose it's probably just quite prevalent because food is so accessible. It's like a, a, a it's not safe, but it's sort of like a, it's available everywhere. And so it's almost like, you know, if you were to touch you can't really, well, I don't, I, I don't think people bring alcohol to work. I mean, actually, I'm sure that happens sometimes, but you know, like there's mm-hmm. things like that where like, it just, it almost seems more easy to it for it to be that crutch to be leaned on either way. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's comforting, isn't it? And then we go back to when we're an infant and you know, how we get comforted by, by sucking or the nipple, you mm-hmm. know, so, so very often if we don't, get that we don't receive that that can translate in um smoking eating any you know oral fixations uh that can that can be born in our infancy that's so interesting i actually heard a podcast where these girls were actually talking about that that oral fixation because they said i think both of them were quitting smoking and Mm -hmm. they were talking about how challenging it actually was not this not even the tip like that part of it but the actual oral fixation part of it of having something mm-hmm. constantly to yeah have in their mouth or like around their mouth or to hold or yeah or whatnot yeah, yeah. wow yeah we did de- we developed these um mm-hmm. these crutches anyway um i have i have m- more questions in terms of the moment right. but that, that was that was actually quite interesting yeah. um <laughs> yeah i actually so I've read a few things and I actually should have written down the sources of them, but I was reading a few things in terms of, and I'm just curious if you have these thoughts on, in terms of like the mother daughter wound and um, a few books talking about how they, some of the authors believing it's connected to, let's say societal, societal issues and like women and sort of like patriarchy and like all of that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like the social like what might be creating that like rift between um, mothers and daughters or if you typically stay Mm. within the individual Mm. yeah Yeah, I I don't know of any patterns that have changed over the years let's say uh, the patterns of the 2000s are any different to the 80s or the 60s but what we really need to take into account is um, ancestral uh, patterns Mm. uh, what is in our DNA Mm. because our mothers are a, a chain of mothers, you know, our ancestors, if we go back through the maternal line and we don't have to go back very far, mm-hmm. you know, just over a hundred years where many, many uh, women would have been giving birth in poverty or in difficult situations in, in um, maybe times of war. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of that carries trauma through to the birth um so so perhaps um our mother's generation they were born 
with this inherent fear because the you know the, they were carrying the the trauma of their mothers mm. um perhaps from you know more violent times poverty mm, when things weren't quite so let's say materialistic as they are now so so that's a really big thing a lot of people are working with that at the moment wow. um the ancestral line and how we can heal that we can heal that with different practices um, yeah is that past because of course there's a lot of like literature on this sort this sort of stuff. Is it passed on um, through the body, through like the psyche? Like you know, how they say like if your if your mom was stressed while you were being born, or if she was sick, mm-hmm. or something like that, then it could be because like an easy example uh, <laughs> that I think of with my case is I was born two months early, I think something mm-hmm. like that because my mom, I think she had a cold. It wasn't even a big thing, but she had enough of a. Uh, an illness that whilst pregnant it wasn't necessarily the safest condition for me to mm. be in and so being premature a few months mm. I just wonder things I've read and again I'm not sure exactly what's totally correct is that mm. certain things can be passed on in terms of like maybe fear or a proclivity mm. towards certain ways of thinking so I'm just curious about your thoughts on yeah it's like definitely a combination of all of those so the actual birth the stress that you're feeling picking it up you know your nervous system would be picking up so you may be born with a nervous system that's dysregulated uh, which can 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 lead to um a, a really let's say a, a baby that or a child that's not not comfortable in its skin you know mm-hmm. feeling anxious um feeling um fearful um and and not realizing that 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 needs to be regulated perhaps until later on if ever mm-hmm. um so yes yeah, so it it can be either the situation or it can there's a belief that it's passed down through the dna also mm-hmm. so perhaps we're carrying trauma of our grandmothers great grandmothers that maybe we didn't even know Mm-hmm. right and I think that's spoken a lot in terms of like holocaust um descendants quite yes yeah 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 so I guess perhaps those people as you said if the nervous system like in my case or in people I know who are descendants mm. of uh, people in the holocaust or or even less let's say huge things but um you just would these sorts of people and again including myself would need to work maybe more is that correct with like the nervous system then let's see yeah it might be that you have a pattern um let's say anxiety that is challenging or it's hindering you that you start to turn towards that and and wonder about Mm -hmm. it and find ways of working with that and then ah suddenly you come across um work around the vagus nerve and you think oh yeah that that seems to fit so let's do some of that work mm-hmm. and little by little we restore and we re-regulate the nervous system yeah I'm curious um as we sort of like start to wrap up because I, I know of course you have this uh spiritual side of you done yoga all of this are there certain um well I actually have two questions one is what is your lens in terms of all this like let's say you you do have a or have had a historically difficult relationship with a parent either gender mm. Uh, mm. primary caregiver um what mm. is your spiritual take on on that like how do you see that, in that um yeah in my case gratitude for all that luscious material that was given to work with yeah that actually changed my life mm-hmm. so if I hadn't gone into therapy in my late 30s you know I may have been a lot less 
um, conscious of, of of everything around me and my place in life. So yeah, some gratitude that that people say that we're born into the family that we need to learn the lessons of. Mm -hmm. So maybe in my case, it was to learn to speak, to open my mouth and to speak up. And, you know, it's worked to a point because here I am speaking to you on a podcast. So, yeah. you know, psychotherapy works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, and we we even though the patterns might be universal. So perhaps if we're if our wound is abandonment or neglect, um, we, we all come at this differently. We're all in different contexts, different environments. So we have different uh, wounds to deal with um so you know we can deal with those in different ways but you know getting support with that is is vital really that that you're in the cauldron with another person um yeah. who's neutral and who's um not emotionally attached and who's going to be able to hold that space safely for you oh yeah that's so beautiful I absolutely love how you shared that and it's it's so true you're you were the first uh therapist that I ever have well the only that I've ever that I have only worked that I've worked with and I think it's it can be maybe you also I have okay I'll try to keep this to to a minimum but maybe do you have words because I'm thinking of myself like it it definitely is even for someone like me who and, and probably actually everybody listening because it's very similar people who who actually love this sort of work, but it can still be quite mm, intimidating or scary to uh, be in that cauldron with someone else. Cause mm. especially if you're used to, as we spoke to before, being quite mm. independent and doing things on your own, mm. do you have any, let's say encouraging words for someone who's maybe interested, but a little nervous? Yeah. Well, if somebody's working as a therapist, they should be non-judgmental and uh, what we call um, unconditional positive regard. Uh, so they're, whatever you say is taken seriously. So in my experience, the therapist that you, that you come across, that you work with, will hold that space for you. And, and I would say if you're doubting um, about whether that's the first step, to to start an embodied practice so to practice yoga to practice qigong to maybe work with groups maybe go on retreats where these things become a little bit more normalized mm. and it may be that you start with reiki or bodywork practices um and and eventually you know the your therapist will come along on your path <laughs> Yeah. And do you still offer, I mean, everyone, can, I'll link your website and everything that you've given me, but do you still offer, um, like what, well, I'll just ask you, what, what, can you share what it is that you offer uh, people in terms of services? Yeah, sure. So uh, one-to-one individual uh, counseling psychotherapy sessions and uh, depending on location, so online mm -hmm. uh, or, or face-to-face. I also teach focusing, so I run focusing courses online, and you can see more information on my website around focusing and what it is. Um, for me, I've been practicing focusing for more than 20 years and, you know, trained in it. So, you know, that just says it works for me. It's a way of processing. I can practice that on my own or with a partner. So I also offer focusing sessions to individuals. 
Um, and I'm actually um, giving uh, some taster sessions of focusing. So they're available now on my website. Wow. Um, on the back of this, I've, I've uh, penciled in one for November around the mother wound. So it's how to work with the mother wound through the lens of focusing. Um, so it's, it's you know, a non-invasive way. It's something to, to explore. So I also um, offer, you know, free pop-up sessions and also when invited do introductory talks around focusing and psychotherapy. Wow. Okay. That's great. I'll definitely include all of that. And then the last thing I just wanted to ask you is again, related to, you know, you are so broad spectrum, like uh, what are some of the practices that you like for yourself? If there's anything that you do regularly or even once a week or once a month, just curious about your own practices. Yeah. Uh, yoga really. Um, and I say I have discipline in my flexibility and flexibility in my discipline which means I don't force myself to do anything and then something brings me to my mat because I allow myself all the space not to do it but it gives me so much because every day I'm coming to it in a different state or you know everything's you know changes around us every day so Perhaps one day I'm working, one day I'm not working, one day I'm stressed, one day I'm not stressed. So so very much yoga, meditation, uh, focusing. Um, I have focusing partners who I work with, so it's almost like having psychotherapy at least once a week. Yeah. Uh, what else? I also, um, because I'm you know on Zoom more, I'm online more, so I'm I'm a little bit more fixed. Uh, in more recent years, I've taken up tennis again, which is a really great antidote to um, to, to cancelling. And, you know, I call that a practice because it's giving myself space. It's doing something that I love. I'm outside. Uh, and also I've taken up guitar, which I find is is quite a spiritual practice, actually. Well, yeah. uh, do you also sing, at least to yourself? Or to yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm singing. Um, I'm um I'm becoming more brave with it in yeah. fact tomorrow at class we have a performance day where we get plugged in and we learn to sing so wow. I'm quite excited about that so yeah my um psychotherapist served me well over the years of you know being able to voice um yeah so those are my so. yeah wow oh my gosh thank you so much this is so insightful and it was just so nice to talk to you in this context I really appreciate you taking the time yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Mackenzie. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining us on the North Star podcast. I am so grateful for your time and your presence. If you want to chime in on the conversation, you can send me a DM at MacValCastro on Instagram. I mean it when I say that I'm really always happy to hear from you, be it with regards to your insights gleaned from this episode or with regard to your own unfolding journey at large. I do believe that we each have our own North Star and it's our duty to do the inner work to get to know ourselves so that we can live in harmony with our souls, carry out our calling and serve others with the gifts we have each been uniquely blessed with in this lifetime. Thank you again for joining us and I'll see you next time.